take our Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll only be looking at one verse tonight, taking the next few minutes to think again about the Christmas story and to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. I think it's interesting. The confluence of news stories between December 2017 and the night Jesus was born. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but both of these times of year have something in common. One word. Taxes. If you've kept up with the news at all, You know that the month of December has seen our fair share of discussion about taxes, overhauls, who's going to save, who won't save. Don't worry, no pontificating here today, all right? But interestingly enough, that is the same thing, well, maybe not exactly the same thing, but it is the same thing that was going on more than 2,000 years ago. We just read the text. In Luke chapter 2, Luke says that on that night, the reason Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem is because for that year, Augustus had called for a census. Now, let me ask you folks, why does a government of any kind, ours included, call for a census? Why do they want to count how many people there are? Why do they care how many heads there are in their region? Taxes. That's why it's called this census nearly 2,000 years ago. To raise taxes. A little did Augustus know, a man who would have viewed himself as practically divine, a man who would have assumed he was the most powerful man on the planet, little did he know, this act set into motion the final set of plans that God in His sovereignty had been knitting together for millennia. A plan that would result in a young married couple about to have a baby take a trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Little did Augustus know that in fact, the most powerful being in the universe was going to be born as a result, in some measure, of his decision to collect more taxes. In fact, this was such a powerful moment this night when Christ was born that as we are well aware, it split time in half. This is a profound birth we're talking about. No other birth like it. Nothing else close to it. This is one of the most dramatic events in human history. And even though angels announce it, it largely goes unnoticed. What a profound song we just heard. We do tend to sanitize this night, don't we? This was a difficult night. And ladies, what would you think about the night that you gave birth in a stable, that a bunch of dirty shepherds show. How's that sound? 
You don't want people coming to the hospital to see you, let alone this, right? This is what happened, though, the night he was born. The Savior of the world coming in such humble, meek means. Luke is the gospel writer who records for us all these great details. No other gospel writer does that. Matthew talks some about it, but it's limited. I mean, we learn about Joseph, but when Matthew goes to tell us that Jesus had been born, the only thing he says was, and Mary gave birth, and they named him Jesus. That's about it. We know the wise men come sometime later, but it's Luke. Luke who gives us all this great detail about what happened on this night. It's Luke who tells us about all these great responses to the birth of Christ. Angels light up the sky because Christ is born. Shepherds go away telling everybody everything they had heard and seen. Mary ponders these things in her heart. That's another reminder. Luke does this well, by the way. Another reminder to us that Christ requires a response. There is something to be done with Him. There is something to be said about Him. We cannot stay neutral when it comes to the Savior. And so tonight, then, that brings us to our final song. All month, we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. Four of them in Luke's Gospel, all of them with highfalutin Latin names, right? And we've kept right along with all those Latin names, and even tonight, we still have them. However, it's the one that we recognize. It's the one you just sang. It's actually the third in the series of four, but we dealt with the fourth one this morning. It's probably the most well-known. It's definitely the shortest. And I know some of you are thinking, whew, that's good. For two reasons. One, I don't think his voice can handle it, all right? Number two, it won't be quite as long. I understand what you're thinking on Christmas Eve, all right? But perhaps... It's the best one. If you can say something like that, because really this last song, this last declaration of praise and worship is one that synthesizes the gospel for us. And so, after that one angel announces to the shepherds that today, the city of David and the town of Bethlehem, a baby has been born, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Bible tells us, though, that it's not just that one angel. After he's done making his announcement, that the sky lights up with angels. We only know it's a host. We don't know how many a host would be, but my guess is that'd be pretty fantastic. A host of angels appear. This is their song. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I I think in these words, I think in this one song, we have a very simple synthesis of the gospel. I only have one slide. There's no notes to fill in, so it doesn't really matter. Unless you want to write it down, you can. And that the gospel is really synthesized for us in this. These words reflect all that is going on theologically with the birth of Christ. God, who for the sake of His glory and as an expression of His goodwill, intervened in human history through His Son, Jesus Christ, to make peace with us by reconciling us to Himself in Christ. If you ever want to know 
What's the gospel in one sentence? There you go. Now, is that all that could be shared? Certainly not. But this is the gospel. This is a, a synthesis, a summary. And these words are drawn straight from the words declared that one night when Christ was born. In fact, you see these two great themes. God's glory and God's goodwill. God's glory. Notice how they begin this song. Glory to God in the highest. Every song has always begun with a statement of praise. Every song has always begun. My soul magnifies the Lord. Or Zechariah, blessed be the Lord. Or Simeon saying, now I can depart because the Lord has kept His word to me. Every song is a song of praise. It is a declaration of what is God's goodness and God's might and God's power. That God is a God worthy of worship. By the way, this reminds us. That everything we're talking about, everything about the gospel, everything about life on this planet, begins first in the highest. There's no doubt where the angels stand here. Who's responsible for this? Glory to God in the highest. In other words, as high as you can go, that's how much glory God deserves. God is the one to be exalted. He is the one to be praised for what He's done through the birth of Christ. So, so we see this great theme here of what is God's glory. God is worthy of my worship. God is worthy of my praise. God's worthy of my devotion. God is a great God. He's a mighty God. He is a powerful God. But really, perhaps the phrase, the idea that at least becomes most personal, not only does it show me God's glory, it shows me God's goodwill. So God, who for the purpose of His own glory, the purpose of His own glory, this same God has now intervened in human history. That's what's being stated here. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest. All right, So up in heaven, up in God's throne, glory to God. But what's going on on earth? Peace, goodwill toward men. Now, we've got to do something here, church. Because there's no part of the Christmas story that gets more abused than these words. Let me me put it like this. How many of you have heard at some point this month, somebody say on the news or in some other not church setting, ask or answer the question, what's the meaning of Christmas? What's this season all about? And inevitably, how do they respond? Peace. Goodwill. You know what they mean though, right? When they say peace and goodwill, they don't mean toward men. They mean among men. They mean we should try and be at peace with one another. We should show goodwill to one another. Now, don't misunderstand me. Should we show goodwill? Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. In fact, it's a biblical concept. Yes, show goodwill to one another. Try and be at peace. The Bible commands it. That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, nothing about this story says anything about our relationships with one another. Glory to God on the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. Why is that the case? Because there's a lot of ways God could have related to us. 
You look back in the Old Testament, how does God relate to people? The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, Babylon taking Jerusalem. In other words, sometimes when God shows up in human history, what does He do? He shows up with judgment. Listen, this could have been possible again on this night. He could have shown up with judgment, but He doesn't. God shows up with goodwill. God shows up with grace. God shows up with mercy. God comes to people who are dead in their trespasses and sin. God comes to people like us who are in the darkness, in desperate need of light. God is a God who decided not to relate to us on the basis of our sin, but on the basis of His grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is peace and goodwill. It's God's goodwill toward me. It's now the fact that I have peace with God. This is what this season's about. This is what Christmas itself is about because it reminds us that without Jesus, we don't have peace with God. The only means by which you and I can be made right with God is through Christ Himself. Confessing my sin, believing Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, asking God to save me based on nothing but what Christ has done. My guess is, in a crowd this size, somebody here has never trusted in Christ as Savior. I would implore you to do just that. That you'd submit yourself to the Savior. That you'd come in repentance. That you'd come in faith, trusting and believing the one and only Gospel. You can have peace with God. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have peace with Him. But you can. Submit yourself to the Gospel. To those who are believers, this is another great reminder to us. This is what we celebrate. This is why we worship Christ. This is why we draw our attention to this at this time of year. Because the cradle takes us to a cross. Jesus was born to die. To die for sins He did not commit. So that you might be given a righteousness you did not nor cannot earn. Good news. Grateful we should be for what our Savior has done. And really, I can think of no better way than to celebrate this. I can think of no better way to commemorate this. To move into what is a sober reminder of what Christ has done for us. I think Christmas is an ideal time to take the Lord's Supper. So now that's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time together and we are going to gather around the Lord's table. I'd ask the deacons if you'd make your way forward <clears throat> as we prepare to take these elements together. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, these symbolize for us what is the peace and goodwill of God toward us. The Savior who was crucified, blood that was shed. As we take of these elements, we are reminded once again reason we need peace with God is because we are lost in our sin. We're dead in those trespasses. That only in Christ can we be made right. So as we take the elements, believers in Christ, we're going to do something in just a moment. We're going to have just a moment of silence. This is something, by the way, they tell you never to do in a congregation. Moments of silence. But we're going to do it because this takes requires reverence 
and respect. This is a, this is a sobering moment. It's a high and holy moment. I believe Christ has called us to this and then is uniquely present as we take these elements. Not in the elements themselves, because this is a command from Him to us. We should take it seriously. So you're going to have a time of silent prayer where you can prepare your heart to take these elements. Prepare your heart in confession of sin, submission to Christ. Take time for just the next few moments getting ready to take these elements that really anchor us in the heart of the Christmas story. So so now, if you would, take just a moment. Just where you are, close your eyes, bow your head. Spend time in prayer. I will do then a closing prayer for us, and we'll take the elements together. Father God, we bow before you. Again, to express our gratitude for what you've done for us in Christ, for what this season represents. We come to express our repentance. We confess to you our sin. We confess to you our need for a Savior. We confess to you ways in which we have taken for granted the greatness of this gospel given to us. Father, we take opportunity now to focus our heart and mind on what matters most, and that is the gospel of Christ. Christ crucified, the body broken, blood shed for us. We come then to offer our lives to you, submitting to you, taking up our cross to follow you, to live as disciples of the most high God. Again, Father, we thank you for your peace and goodwill toward us in Christ, and that now we can be made right with you, can be reconciled to you in Christ. So Lord, as we take these elements, may you find in us people who do want to surrender to you, love you, serve you, and worship you. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.